0: Hello, and welcome to the Career Speakeasy, a casual, fun, and irreverent place to share ideas about career development, the world of work, and life in general. I'm your host and proprietress, Kelly Nottingham. Growing your career should not be boring. So come on in, pull up a chair, and pick your poison. So I'm going to start off the episode today with some out of the starting gate thoughts, with an understanding right up front on the limit. To the topics that I'm going to be discussing today. We're going to be talking about implicit bias today and how our brains create bias. We'll get into that a tiny bit. And how we can potentially overcome biases that we have in our minds, in that deepest part of our mind that are running on autopilot, but may be affecting the way we interact with other people. My goal with this podcast is not to solve all of the problems and challenges that we are currently seeing in the world today particularly with race and gender topics. This is not the solution to those larger systemic issues. However, it is one small piece to those larger solutions. It's something that we as individuals can take on as a way to learn and improve our own perspectives and how we deal with other people to break down some of the barriers that keep equity from happening. And that can be very powerful. Now, I am not an expert on politics of racism. I am not an expert on gender studies. And frankly, in full transparency, I am a white woman in a heterosexual marriage. I have dealt with gender discrimination in my life and maybe a couple of times dealt with race discrimination. I've been discriminated against because I'm from the U.S. South and all of the ignorant, inbred, uneducated hillbilly stereotypes that go along with it. But I can in no way speak for people who have dealt with much more severe types of discrimination than I have, and I'm not going to try to. That's not my place. My goal with this podcast is to do the little bit that I can with the knowledge and work experience that I have to be the best ally that I can be in the ways that I know how. And this is one of the ways that I can try to contribute to the conversation in a helpful way. Now, another piece that I wanted to put in place before we start is to understand that we're not in this episode particularly just talking about race and gender, sexual orientation. We're talking about a wide variety of biases, and I'll be touching on those as we go through this episode. Now, with that being said, I am during the course of this episode going to be talking about stereotypes that may pop up in Modern culture, or they may pop up in some people's minds, things that I have seen or heard from other people. I just want to be clear I do not hold or promote these stereotypes, and I want to let you all know that some of these are potentially going to be painful to hear, but it's important to draw attention to these and bring them out into the light, so to speak, so that we can start to recognize biases that we may have down deep. Now, lastly, The brain is extremely complex, and researchers are constantly learning more and more about how these squishy little pink marvels in our skulls work. So the information shared here may and hopefully will change as more is discovered about the way that our brains work. So with all of that being said, we're going to jump into this discussion for this episode all about implicit bias how we understand bias and some techniques that we can use individually to dismantle our own biases. So let's start with some large definitions just to level set on the topics that we're going to be discussing today. The first is diversity. Diversity is a recognition that there are differences among people. The Society for Human Resources Management, SHRM, SHRM, defines it as the collective mixture of differences and similarities that include, for example, individual and organizational characteristics, values, beliefs, experiences, backgrounds, preferences, and behaviors. So that's diversity. Inclusion is including diverse people into situations where they may previously not have been included or included only on a superficial level. Now, the problem with calling people diverse is that that really doesn't have a lot of meaning because everybody is diverse in some way or another. And this is one of those areas that is constantly evolving is the terminology that we use to talk about things like implicit bias. Some of you may have heard this called unconscious bias. Uh, Some of you may have heard the term subconscious bias. And as we continue to evolve our understanding of these things, our language continues to evolve as well. So talking about diverse people uh is also something that has been shifting. So what I am preferring to use as a term are underrepresented people because I think that's really what back in, you know, previous years when this topic was being discussed that that term diverse people or diverse individuals that's what they were trying to get at. So inclusion including Underrepresented people into situations where they may have previously not have been included or included only on a superficial or tokenistic level. Belonging is a step beyond inclusion and it's a very important step where each person is allowed to be their full selves in their situation. So the way I like to think of this on a super simplistic level, let's say you have a group of people to invite to a dinner at your house. Diversity is noticing and maybe pointing out that these people are not all alike. Not everybody in this group is alike. Inclusion is inviting all of them to sit at your table for dinner and serving the same food to everyone, whether or not they eat that kind of food. Belonging is bringing everyone together to create a menu that has something for everyone and that has full contributions from everyone. There are different races, different genders, different ages, skill levels, abilities, different weights, different sizes, language, geographical backgrounds, experience levels, education levels, socioeconomic backgrounds, and the list goes on and on. When we talk about diversity, a lot of times we think about the more obvious sides of diversity, the more visible sides of diversity, like race or gender or size. And these are topics that have been discussed and continue to be discussed, which is Critically important that they continue to be discussed. But there are also lots of different varieties of diversity that we may not as readily see. So, religious beliefs, socioeconomic background, these are also important types of diversity that may fly under our radar as far as being aware of them because they aren't necessarily in the forefront of discussions and they're not as easily recognizable. So, what is implicit? bias. A bias is an opinion toward or away from a particular group, situation, or individual. And it's implicit, meaning that we don't actually know that the bias exists. This is why people have referred to this as well as unconscious or subconscious bias. Now, this is different from an overt bias or an explicit bias. That's where we're making a conscious choice for or against a group situation or individual. And that's not going to be addressed in this episode because frankly, that's one of those things that somebody has to be willing to change. The discussion we're going to be having about countering implicit bias can have an effect on conscious bias as well. But frankly, it's on them to be willing to change their opinion. And unfortunately, if a bias serves us well, we're far less likely to want to acknowledge them or deal with them. Once we become aware of a bias, it moves from being implicit to being explicit. And explicit biases are something that you have decided to accept. So how is implicit bias formed? Now, there's lots, again, lots of science that is working on building these theories and ideas about this. The way that I like to think of this, again, in a very simple, straightforward way for a very complex topic is that an implicit bias is formed from a combination of education plus experience plus time. So we're going to look at these three pieces, education, experience, and time. Education can come in many forms, and it can include things like conversations we had when we were young with people who have to influence our opinions. So that can be friends, teachers, family members, religious leaders, community leaders, And it can include media that we absorbed, particularly at younger ages. These ideas and images we shared created a logic in our brains. If A, then B. We're told this repeatedly over the course of our young lives. That's the time part. And that influences the way that we view the world we live in. Biases are also formed by experiences that we may have had that were powerful enough to essentially overwrite other experiences that we may have had. So I'm going to tell a story on my dearly beloved sister here. When she was young, she was bitten by a dog, and it was a highly charged, emotional, negative experience for her, and thus stuck in her head as a major event. She had trusted that this dog was safe to pet and it ended up not being safe. That negative experience heavily influenced the way that she approached dogs in the future. Now, I was also taught that dogs are safe to pet and did not have negative experiences with dogs biting me. In fact, my experience with dogs has been very positive throughout my life and usually dogs love me. So my experience has been Very positive overall, with no major negative events to get in the way over the course of a very long time to create those positive beliefs. I, in fact, have a positive bias that animals won't bite me, uh, which has actually resulted in my getting bitten by a bird and a squirrel. But that's another story for another episode. So the human brain is really fascinating in many, many ways. First, the brain takes in a tremendous amount of information in every moment. Britannica says that the human body sends 11 million bits per second to the brain for processing, yet the conscious mind seems to be able to process only 50 bits per second. So there is a lot of compression and weeding out that's going on if 11 million bits of information are being reduced to less than 50. Now, what this means is that our brain is constantly looking for ways to process information faster and more efficiently, basically to create shortcuts. It's automatic processing so we don't have to consciously think about everything all the time. Next, The human brain is always trying to protect us from bad situations, and in large part, the brain will tell us to focus on negativity and negative experiences and tie them to those emotions so that we remember them because it's trying to keep us safe. I think this is why we remember one negative comment more clearly and vividly and viscerally than we will remember a hundred great compliments. Our brains connect memory to emotions. And thus, a stronger emotional response will cause a stronger memory. We tend to have very strong, powerful negative emotions when we feel threatened. Thus, the brain is often wired to a negative bias. We see something that we've been educated to believe is a threat or that we've experienced as a threat. And so our brains, upon experiencing that stimulus again, will respond with an I'm being attacked kind of response. This is a way of our brain making a shortcut so it doesn't have to consciously think, well, last time I saw a dog that looked like that and was making that face, I got bit, and therefore this same dog that is making that same face and looked like that other dog is possibly gonna bite me too. And while you're thinking this, the dog is just staring at you like, what is wrong with this chick? We don't go through that mental process in a conscious way. This is where the unconscious, that implicit processing and bias comes in over the course of time with that thought lingering in our minds and being reinforced repeatedly of dog making that face will bite me our brain efficiently develops a shortcut so we don't have to think about it and instead we have an immediate gut reaction and an immediate instinctive response without realizing the thought is even happening so this is what implicit bias is it is the shortcutting in the brain from an experience or education that we have essentially internalized to the point where we're not consciously thinking about A plus B equals C anymore. Over time, our brains go straight to C. Because of this, we tend to not question it because it's so deeply rooted in our brains, we don't see it anymore. So, That's the basic equation, my little education plus experience plus time equation for how implicit bias works to create a thought pattern that sinks into that subconscious pathway of our brain. So now what I would like to do is a little self-exploration quiz because these biases are so deeply rooted. We don't see that they exist. And because we don't see that they exist, we can't address them. We have to recognize that they exist in our individual minds before we're able to address whether there's something we want to continue to hold on to consciously or something we want to change and give up. So what I would like to do in the next few minutes is to list out some situations and individual stereotypes and group stereotypes. I would like for you to capture your first gut reaction and your first thoughts, the very first ones about these Particular people or groups so that you can begin to address and recognize whether or not you may have a bias. So, what is the first reaction that pops up when I mention women are more likely to cry in work meetings? Older employees have a stronger work ethic than younger people. Older employees won't get on board with trying new computer systems. Women should wear makeup in a professional setting. Younger employees always want to work from home. Asian employees are better at math and should therefore be put in finance or data roles. People who have worked in a lot of different industries just don't know what they want to do professionally. Men are more decisive. An employee with a foreign accent is less knowledgeable. This interview candidate is better because we went to the same college. Now, hopefully these statements did not upset any of you. And again, my intention is not to upset anyone or reinforce these stereotypes. My goal here is to make you aware if you have biases, either positive or negative, but Usually we're focused on the negatives. It's interesting, positive biases that are taken too far can actually result in the opposite bias also becoming true. And so you can develop a negative bias out of a too strong positive bias. So for example, women are great. Women are the best. And therefore, men are the worst. Just an example, guys. The goal here is to get you thinking about what's going on in the back of that automatic processing in your brain. Having biases in itself does not make you a bad person. We all have them. Our brains all work this way. But biases can cause us to behave in ways that are divisive, exclusionary, and hurtful. So what can be done once you recognize the biases that you have? We do all have them, and we have to make a conscious effort to push back on these biases and essentially rewire our brains so that the biases are eventually replaced with a more productive, instinctual thought pattern. Now, there are several key ways that we can start to dismantle our own biases, and some of these may not seem like rocket science, but that's because they aren't rocket science. They just take commitment and diligence that don't necessarily require years and years of expensive psychotherapy. Now, that being said, if you find that you are having a really difficult challenge with bias or if it is impacting you personally or professionally, it never hurts to talk to a therapist who can help you work through that. So if implicit biases are comprised of education plus experience plus time, guess what it takes to dismantle and replace them with something better? You guessed it. Education plus experience plus time. All right, so let's change some education. Education comes in many forms, including awareness of the messaging that we've been told and the inputs that we are constantly cramming into our brains by way of the people we surround ourselves with and the media that we take in. So step one is realizing you're having these biased thoughts. Now, this takes practice and time to start catching these fleeting first thoughts, but it can be done. Step two, when you catch a biased thought, ask yourself, Where did that thought come from? What is your earliest memory of that particular group that's the subject of the bias? Sometimes when you sit with these thoughts for a minute, you'll hear the voice of the person who told you these things, or you'll actually see images of where you were first exposed to that group as an other group. Once you see those, you can start to address them. Are they actually true? What was the person's intention in saying that or educating you that way? What bias may have led them to say those things? And then step three. What is a truer thought? What is the desired thought you want to replace your bias with? If you don't know much about a group, which is very common, consciously educate yourself. Learn as much as possible about their perspectives, history, and culture. Now, there's one caveat to this. Don't expect them to want to educate you on their perspectives and issues. From talking to friends and colleagues of mine who are underrepresented in communities and industries that I've been working in, many of them said that frankly, they're tired of being the ones trying to educate. We have the internet and we can learn a lot on our own. Look at what they say about themselves, not what others say about them. Now, speaking of the internet, it can do a number on our education piece. Algorithms will feed you similar content on most news and social media sites, meaning you're going to fall headfirst into a cultural echo chamber. We isolate our brains into only seeing small groups of people depending on what we curate for ourselves. Now, in the perfectionism episode, I talked about The idea of creating your context, that you need to consciously think about what you're putting into your mind and what you're putting around yourself. And this is absolutely relevant here. You have to consciously curate your context. When we have a non-diverse context, it leads us to think that the virtual version of the world is reality when it's not. We go into these bubbles where we assume that because we don't see it, it doesn't exist. If you find that you're only seeing people like you on your social media, it might be time to do a little exploring. Fall down the rabbit hole of the internet to find people who aren't like you. This can help you reset what your brain understands as normal. Next up, we're going to talk about broadening your experiences. Another way to really start catching those thoughts, because they're super quick, is to look at the group of people with whom you normally associate or who are normally in your environment that you interact with. If you're surrounded by people who have similarities to you, it may just be a happenstance of geography, but it may also be a result of biases that you may have. And by looking at this, we can put a magnifying glass on those biases. Now, this is not to say that you have a bias against Buddhists because you don't have any Buddhists in your social circle, but it's far more common to have some type of bias about a group to which you do not belong. This is particularly true if you've never had contact with somebody from a particular group or you've never had good in-depth conversations with someone from a particular group. Once you recognize who you may be excluding from your social circle or who you would like to know more about, you can take steps to determine why and consciously broaden your circle. It's also important here to recognize that a negative experience with one person from a group is not representative of the entire group. One key way to break down our implicit biases is focusing on recognizing people as individuals. Yes, they may be part of a specific group, but that group doesn't determine everything about that person. Generalizations are the foundation of implicit bias. Making assumptions about a group and transferring that assumption to an individual is what implicit bias is all about. Lastly, time. Now, these ideas, recognizing biased thoughts, looking at where they came from, consciously replacing them, and broadening your experiences, they all take time to settle in. Well-developed neural pathways are like highways in our brains. Our thoughts zoom down them easily, effortlessly, and fast. It takes time to start a new pathway. First, it looks like a little dirt road. And then bit by bit, it gets bigger over time. Then it gets paved. And eventually that new thought will become the new neural pathway. But we have to give it repetition over time to really sink it in. Okay, so I'm going to share an example with you of how this education plus experience plus timing thing works. So I'm a child of the 80s. I really, truly hope I do not offend any of my listeners here when I talk about this truth of growing up in the 80s in the United States. Now, this was during the Cold War. And for those of you who did not grow up in the 80s in the U.S., it was a time where we practiced drills in elementary school against nuclear attacks. And I'm not joking, because there was always a fear culturally that the Soviet Union, the USSR, hated us and were trying to destroy us. Now growing up, I was a ballet dancer, and I had tremendous admiration for Russian and Ukrainian ballet dancers like Mikhail Brishnikov, who defected from the Soviet Union. And that was a story that was played out multiple times in the media when I was a kid growing up. We would see these amazing Soviet ice skaters or Soviet gymnasts, for example, in the Olympics and then find out that they had defected. And it was lauded in our media here in the U.S. as being a victory against an evil oppressive regime. Now, this was drilled into our heads as kids. Our education, both in school and with sports coverage and media and every single movie that had a bad guy in the 80s, was all about scary, dangerous Soviets. And we had the addition of repeated exercises like school drills to make sure we knew what to do when attacked over long periods of time. That kind of stuff goes deep into your little kid brain, know what I mean? So it's interesting to see how all of that changed after the Berlin Wall fell, after the Soviet Union broke up and movies began to focus on different groups to be the bad guys. Now, I did not know any people from the former Soviet Union until I got much older and was able to meet them and talk to them. And of course, fascinatingly, The propaganda that they dealt with was the exact opposite type of propaganda that we dealt with. It was focused on us being the evil regime, right? Meeting people, talking to them, and realizing the common ground that we had, realizing that we were all products of the education plus experience plus time that we had dealt with growing up helped to break down those barriers for me. I actually even studied Russian in graduate school and I want to visit Russia so bad someday. So, now it's time for a last call. Some things to think about over the next few weeks. Look at your education, both formal and informal, growing up. What group or groups were considered other from your own in-group? And what was given as reasons for that? What groups might be unintentionally excluded from your social circle? What are you curious about regarding that group and where can you learn more about it? Is your context very homogenous? How can you widen your context today? So that's a very short introduction to implicit bias and some things we can do to dismantle it for ourselves. This is just scratching the surface. So I encourage you to learn more about this. Dig in and let's create some new neural pathways for ourselves. Bye. Well, thanks for joining me. If you have suggestions, feedback, or just something random you want to share, email me at careerspeakeasy at gmail.com and come visit again soon. Cheers.